In our last episode, we broke down what critical race theory is and provided our own opinions on its injection into the mainstream culture. Although critical theory has its ties to Marxist teachings, proponents of critical race theory today are not necessarily aligned with Marxism. We need to be careful how we criticize their support for what they consider to be an honest attempt at solving racial issues in this nation. In this episode, Grant and I will review different perspectives and further flesh out the philosophical debate surrounding how to deal with the very real problem of racism in this country. Our most important goal is to maintain an open mind and understand different perspectives, regardless of our own preconceived notions. Understanding the roots of why people support certain solutions to the issues we face will help better inform the conversation needed to progress together. Let's stop assuming the worst in each other and work together towards a future we can all be proud of. In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. So critical race theory has been thrusted into the mainstream discussion with several right-leaning states outright banning its curriculum in public schools. We've already defined critical race theory and provided our commentary and opinions, but we think it's important to showcase and flesh out what others are saying about it. Our goal is to showcase and contextualize not only political officials and media pundits, but everyday Americans' perspectives on the issue. Examining and understanding stances for and against critical race theory is essential to this conversation and helps procure respectful discourse surrounding a sensitive topic. Those who support critical race theory must not claim those who don't are racist or complicit with racism, while at the same time those who are against critical race theory must not claim those in favor are Marxist or anti-American. This nation was built on bringing hundreds of ideas together and progressing forward with a common purpose of liberty and freedom for all. If this nation is to endure, we must learn how to engage in conversations like this one with those who we disagree and do our best to step into the shoes of one another. Now, before I continue on my soapbox of togetherness, a word from our most important sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our favorite spirit, whiskey. We enjoy conversations more when there's a drink in our hand. Picture us at a fancy cigar lounge or in the brandy room of the Titanic discussing a myriad of issues, solving all the world's problems as the masters of the universe that we are. For this conversation, I'm enjoying a glass of one of my favorite bourbons, Old Grandad. The Old Grandad brand was created by Raymond B. Hayden and named after his grandfather, Meredith Basil Hayden Sr. This bourbon has been around since the 1800s, including during Prohibition when it was produced by the pharmaceutical company American Medicinal Spirits. The brand has changed ownership numerous times since it was originally created and is now distilled and bottled by Jim Beam. While the bonded and 114 proof pack more flavor, the original 80 proof bottle still has rich vanilla and caramel flavor with hints of baking spices and rye bread. Now that I have a drink in my hand, let's get back to the show. Cheers. There are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of a white population that is witnessing a changing America. You would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that you know the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant debate. Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew 
that, that, that was the threat to our republic. So perhaps former President Obama dodged this topic as to not wade into the fiery divide of this country. I will agree with his sentiment that the Republican Party tends to grasp a hold of something and beat a dead horse just to simply get under liberal skin. Perhaps critical race theory is not the greatest threat to our republic, but at least it's worth discussing, right? There are videos from across the country of parents sounding off at school board meetings in protest of this being taught to their children. Here's a mother from Carmel, New York, voicing her concerns. Stop indoctrinating our children. Stop teaching our children to hate the police. Stop teaching our children that if they don't agree with the LGBT community, that they're homophobic. You have no idea each child's life. You don't know what their family lifestyle consists of. You have children like mine who is Muslim and I'm Christian. They would never believe that of her because the way she looks, or according to Miss Cyrus, she's too pasty white. I have a problem when teachers are passing out flyers, recruiting children to go to, to the courthouse, to protest Black Lives Matters, when you have people sitting with, with, with signs that says all cops are bastards. Really? All cops are bastards? No, I think you people are because the way you're acting yeah. and the way you're treating our children and our police officers yeah. and making them believe that it's okay to abuse them, I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here and yeah. let you do that. American linguist and Columbia University professor John McWhorter shares a deeper story relating to the ideology and perspective surrounding critical race theory during his discussion with Glenn Lowry on The Glenn Show. About 15 years ago, I was talking to a black reporter. We were having the typical disagreement as to whether or not racism is as decisive a factor as we're often told. She didn't like the kind of person who I am as a black person who doesn't agree with the sorts of views she had. So for example, in my neighborhood, you can just see the racism. And what she was referring to is that in her neighborhood, which is largely a somewhat depressed neighborhood, there is an elite school that you have to take a serious test to get into. You see white and South Asian and Asian kids streaming into the doors in a neighborhood that otherwise is full of black and Latino kids. Now she looks at that and she says, you can just see the racism. How come none of the kids from the neighborhood are going to that school? Who are all these kids from other neighborhoods going there instead? I couldn't help thinking, wow, if you look at that and you just knit your brow and say it's bigotry or some outgrowth of it, that's the only explanation for why all those Jewish and Asian kids are walking around there. And you look at that and you think racism and racism to you is a word that hits you in the same place as it would if you were thinking about a white person stepping on a black person's toe. The use of that word there is a modern American peculiarity, but we're stuck with it. Racist. I thought at the time, I don't find that very insightful. I'm not sure that she is inclined to think about this a little harder. And I don't mean that she's dumb. I think that she just had learned to think that way about race and just kind of kept going. But there are all sorts of reasons why the people in that neighborhood aren't going to that particular school, especially since the schools that those people go to in the neighborhood are run by black and brown people. It's not as if white people in those schools have been holding them down for generations, treating them as lesser beings. It's complicated. When you're in the groove and you're full of joy, just meet your palms, roll your eyes and say hi. Grant, we have now been two weeks removed from our first episode on critical race theory, where we defined and discussed, at least gave our preliminary thoughts on on what it is. And, and now I wanted to come back to the topic and kind of figure out what's going on 
out there in the ether, what's being discussed? I guess, first of all, just do you have any thoughts or do you have any follow-up commentary just to kind of bring us back into the conversation? Have you thought about this or stewed on this a little bit more? Is there anything that, you know, you went back after the podcast and said, ah, I wish I would have said that because that would have been a good point or, ooh, this would have been a good devil's advocate play. Anything come to mind? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm generally, and I, we can be better about this too. Like I probably said stuff in the first episode that wasn't adding anything to discussion. It was just adding to that tribalistic nature of it. And that's why we wanted to come back here and say, okay, well, let's like, I I'm all for like critical lensing on things. Like, yes, we should examine our history and where we're at culturally with a critical lens, but we need to, we need to have that be the start of an honest discussion and we can have it be this lens is what it is and there's no questioning it or you are blank you are this or that or not with us kind of thing but then the right is out i hate calling it the right people who are against critical race theory it it, it so easily boils down into these like unfortunate dog whistles where it's like oh we're teaching people to teaching kids to hate america and, and hate the police and blah 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 and hate themselves for being white and that's no way to start the discussion either we got to bring it back down to okay what what things are they criticizing? What are the things that they're saying that are not helping us at all? Like you are guilty of original whiteness and you are, you need to acknowledge that you are always and forever being a racist and have racist thoughts to start even going down the right path. Like these are non-starters. These are Kafka traps. Like if you are not anti-racist if you don't acknowledge that you have inherent bias then you are basically against us and you are also racist so it's like regardless of what you do you are x thing that you you know inherently you are not and so then more examples of where this comes up in mainstream like there's the the robin d'angelo like like cultural sensitivity trainings I remember post George Floyd, it was like all of the big companies on Twitter were like, well, we're, we're instituting our own cultural sensitivity training for all employees or like anytime a Starbucks employee calls the cops on some black dude is just sitting down. It's like, well, now every Starbucks employee needs to be subject to this grift basically. Well, yeah. And uh, prior to the surge of this sentiment, there was equal opportunity in the workplace and that has now taken more of a, of a critical theory lens. And I, I've gone through equal opportunity trainings in lots of different professions. And we all, they all have the same kind of theme. Don't discriminate against people who aren't the same color as you. Be, or, or don't discriminate against people who because they're a woman or because they're gay or because they, I mean, even transgender, uh, which is, you know, up and coming in, in equal opportunity. I, I know we don't, end of the day, golden rule, right? We talked about that earlier. It doesn't matter who you are, who you love, what you want to do. You, you treat someone based on their merits and, 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 and go from there. And there are facets and, and, and ways to go through reporting an equal opportunity uh, infraction on, on an employee. If someone fires you because of some horrible reason. So I think that that aspect is important. I think it's important to have those avenues to make sure that it's, you know, you can report that horribleness. I, I think where, where it starts to go too far is that it, if it focuses too much on this idea of white privilege, that I think, you know, when we think about what white privilege means as critical thinkers, you and I can probably sit down and agree certain types of privileges exists, of course, but there's a list on the, so at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, uh, scholar Peggy McIntosh writes that white privilege is like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions, maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. Here are some examples. Quote, 
I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. If you can do that, you have white privilege. Uh, I can turn on the television or open the front page of a, of a paper or magazine and see people of my race widely represented. Uh, I can be sure that my children will be given curricular materials that testify to the existence of their race. I can be pretty sure of having my voice heard in a group in which I am the only member of my race. I, I, these things, it, 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 it blames, it's accusatory, it blames almost because you're white, you have these horrible thoughts. And it's like, that, that's so fucking case-by-case case basis. That's not- No, no, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's something that applies to like literally everybody of a specific race. Why are we singling them out? It's just like, it's, it's based on this, this idea that you cannot be racist against white people because they've redefined what racism is. It's now you have to have you, it's like, it's based on power. Like, oh, they have, they have the power, whatever we define that as. Therefore we cannot be racist against them because they have power over us. So you start with that and you're pretty much allowed to do anything. And what these trainings basically look like is they get a bunch of people in a room. Uh, let's go around in a circle and let's all acknowledge our, our privilege. And if, you, if you're the one in the circle who's like, what the fuck is this? I'm not going to do that. And then they, they single you out and say, you see what Grant is suffering from right now is called uh, white fragility. It's his defensiveness, himself being a white person. And because he's not willing to acknowledge it, he has white fragility and that's a very clear indicator of his privilege. Um, and then you get your daily shaming, basically. Um, and th this is literally how these trainings go in, in, in corporate uh, settings and jobs. That's what the racial sensitivity training is. And then on top of that, you have places like California who, to better institute these things in a legal way, we're going to try and re repeal our state's civil rights laws. Because you cannot enact these kind of equitable things without... Basically, you have to remedy past discrimination with present discrimination. That's a, like an actual quote from... I think Ibram Kennedy said that. Says that in How to Be Anti-Racist. So that's where we're at. It's not equality for all races. It's now we need to remedy past discrimination with current discrimination against white people. That's what they're just straight up calling it discrimination. And it's okay because... Well, they're white. They've had power. I think I think one of the, the interesting questions, especially when it comes to laws that are trying to remedy these issues that do exist in some capacities, that the laws tend to be racist themselves unintentionally or inadvertently, or the people that are proposing or writing these laws aren't intending to do so, or even worse, they might know exactly what they're doing and they're trying to get votes because it sounds good on paper and they can use that as an agenda item and ha ha ha, I got the black voter, I got the Hispanic voter, I got the white vote. And it's like, that's that's disgusting too. That happens and people don't just look past it. But uh, does diversity matter? There are hundreds, if not thousands of, of behavioral studies that show that having a diverse uh, experiences in a room is better for people at a young age. If you have more instances where you're, where you're exposed to people who look different, who speak different, who have different ideas, who come from different backgrounds, who have different type of parents or whatever, that's better for you because you now have a more well-rounded view of the world and that you're not in this, this, this echo chamber of a bunch of white kids or a bunch of black kids in a, in a school, right? There's more to the world than you know. That being said, there are also hundreds, if not thousands of studies that show that if you try to force that diversity to occur, 
in whether it be the workplace or uh, a board of directors with gender quotas or race quotas in school to make it so that you have a certain number of each race or ethnicity or religion or whatever arbitrary you know category uh, that actually has a worse side effect because you're forcing people into situations without having a natural progression of society and it it, it is it is essentially racist because you're denying others the access to those situations and at the same time you're saying that they themselves couldn't get there on their own merit the government has to come in and help them with laws oh because you know we don't have enough women at uh at, at a corporate board of directors we have to have a 50 percent quota so we have enough women there well okay but what what does that say to women who actually have worked their ass off and are better than a lot of men in a lot of ways is that just spitting in their face and saying, well, you know, if the quota law existed now, it'd be easier for you. Same with race. I mean, you have a lot of affluent white schools in suburban areas. And again, we go back to this idea of redlining and, and racist housing policy that, that might not exist today, but the reverberations still exist today uh, from past injustices. So you have a lot of urban schools that are primarily black or Hispanic, and you have a lot of suburban uh, affluent white schools. What's, you know, it would it be better if we all intermingled? Of course, it'd be great. But busing never worked. Busing was horrible and, 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 and not cost effective whatsoever, but also didn't solve the problem. It caused resentment. It created resentment. It created this idea that you're not good enough to get there yourself. So therefore, we're going to put you there. Now you're going to a school after going through K through 12, or let's say K through five. And we're going to bus you now from sixth grade to 12th grade at a different school that has a higher curriculum and more resources and more money for other reasons that are asinine and horrible. Now you're setting this person who went to a, a school that was shitty and didn't have enough resources setting them up for failure by taking them out of that situation, putting them in a different school, and now they're going to fail because they won't meet the standards, they didn't get taught the correct way. And that in itself is a problem. And that doesn't happen to just minorities. That happens to anyone who might be poor. There, there are a lot of compounding factors here. And I don't think critical race theory, at least, is, is attempting to have a conversation about race and try to educate people about the fact that these things exist. But the problem is it, it, it goes about it in such a indoctrinating cultish awful way that doesn't solve the problem yeah and it, it and it's it's yeah it's it the conversation is just it's it's non-starter it but then and that's why we keep it's like yeah i'm very willing to have these conversations these really tough conversations but and this is gonna go into something that we wanted to bring up like yes we regardless of what i said last episode we are two white guys sitting here talking about these issues and you will have a lot of people that might otherwise say that's not okay. Like that's not the right way to go about it. Like we should not be talking about it because we do not have the perspective necessary to talk about these things. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're just two white guys sitting here on a podcast using our privilege to talk about race that we have no experience in other than being white. I, I think, I think in some way it can be understood. I understand that the, 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 the optics of it might not look the best, but I think it's also racist to say that because we're white, we can't have our own thoughts and discuss this issue in our country with the people that we know and love who, who live in this nation and live in this world who, you know, we want to make a better situation. You didn't hear man. You can't be racist against white people. Oh, well, yeah, that's the, that's not, that's a, that, that no. <laughs>
Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing into the same division that exists in our hyper-partisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions, and the Kogan Conversation is a platform that welcomes the respectful discourse. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming issue or episode, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Don't you want to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing on your favorite podcast platform? Subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. By the way, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any important information or our upcoming monthly newsletter. And now, back to the show. These next set of clips will provide some insight and perspective into the other side of the argument. It is imperative that we listen with an open mind and understand where proponents of critical race theory are coming from and how they are responding to criticisms like ours. First, here is history professor Annette Gordon-Reed giving her take on why critical theory is under attack during her interview on ABC's The View. Well, I think it's, as near as I can tell, this is a culture war thing, uh, a way of distracting attention from the real problems we have. I seriously doubt that people in middle school, teachers in middle school and high school are actually teaching critical legal theory. I mean, I went to school with one of the people who was a, one of the originators of it, and Derek Bell, who also taught at Harvard. And I know what this is. This is something that we talk about in law school. It's just hard for me to imagine that people in elementary, middle school, and high school are actually teaching critical race theory. What they're doing is talking more about race and the problem of race. And I think that makes people very, very uncomfortable. Uh, but I think it's a way of distracting us from more serious issues. Next, here is Princeton African-American Studies professor, Dr. Imani Perry, giving her a bridge definition of critical race theory and explaining her thoughts on the criticisms facing its adoption during her interview with Mark Lamont Hill on BNC News. The most straightforward way to explain critical race theory is to begin with the civil rights movement, right? So the victories of the movement, which we all know, are found in federal legislation, Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, but also in anti-discrimination laws, essentially laws that declared Jim Crow policies unconstitutional. So after that moment, we begin to understand, uh, of course, that black people suffered many other forms of injury and had many systems of, of disadvantagement and inequality in their lives, right? And so legislatures and municipalities and organizations began to make specific efforts to target African-Americans with programs to address current and past discrimination. And they faced a major conservative backlash. And the way that backlash was was formed with saying, well, if you make programs to target the discrimination experienced by black Americans and you don't include me, white person, then you are discriminating against me, right? And so they begin to attack programs like affirmative action and upward bound, et cetera. Okay, so we get to this point and then civil rights lawyers and scholars begin to talk about how we have to be able to address subordination injustice, not just color consciousness. It's not enough to be colorblind. We actually have to be able to address 
injustice and subordination if we're going to have legal racial equality. And that's the heart of critical race theory. And they began to bring multiple forms of analysis to the table. History, narrative, um, gender, uh, class, showing all the insidious ways that discrimination and inequality have been sedimented in American society. Right. And then it blooms in multiple directions, but it is literally just a way of understanding the mechanics of racial inequality and how the law might be imagined to address them. Nothing more than that. And finally, here's popular YouTuber and self-proclaimed libertarian socialist Vouch giving his thoughts on the tenets of critical race theory in this video reacting to the right wing media outlet PragerU. Sometimes you'll hear arguments from progressive people saying that, like, the whites are always exploiting, even if they're not personally racist, even if you never personally benefited from the labor of a slave directly under your employ or control, I guess, because you didn't employ slaves. Um, you still benefit from the systems of power that those things took place in. And that's true. So I'm a white guy. The wealth that my family holds and the benefits that my, you know, my grandpappy and my great-grandpappy and what have you were able to take advantage of were molded in part, at least, by the fact that they would have had a slightly easier time about it than they would have if they were black. Now, that doesn't mean every white person is like living some godly privileged life where they're sitting on a golden throne being carried around by POC or anything. It just means like, if I look back through my family history, and I think, like, where would I be today if my great-great-grandfather, who immigrated here from Poland, if he had been black and had been a recently freed slave instead? And, like, everything else was kept the same, but like that. I have to think. Would have been a little different. Probably would have been a little harder for the... For you know, my descendants from that point forward. And maybe I wouldn't have gotten to go to Beverly Hills High School, you know? Just... Maybe not, maybe, possibly, it's all a stats game. Me, 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 me. Singing in the bathtub, singing all alone. Tearing out a tonsil just like a baritone. Never take a shower, it's an awful pain. Singing in a shower's like singing in the rain. Okay, so we're talking about diversity being a good thing. Like, I don't disagree with that. Most people would agree with that. Yeah, we want diverse thoughts and ideas in a room together to be able to enhance the learning that they're getting. Like, yes, I'm totally on board with that. So under under these these ideas that are that are put out, this lensing of critical race theory, where we would otherwise want a room full of diverse thoughts and opinions, a part of that is people who are white. They are part of the conversation. We should be a part of the conversation. So yes, let's acknowledge that historically, at least in this country, for the past X amount of years, we might have dominated the discussion in certain areas. But the remedy to that is not just axing what our viewpoint is completely. And if you come to the table and say, yes, we want diversity, but your group, because of your skin color, your ideas are less than because they have been the, the dominant this idea of whiteness has been the dominant way of living and, and normalized over centuries of, of, of systematic, systemic racism. Well, then that's not true diversity anymore. You're self-defeating. You're, you're literally bringing these people together to... I mean, I, I, maybe there's something to be said about that. I don't know. 
that's that's like the weird like it's like you're bringing these people together but you're you're basically in doing that you're creating this common foe well on top of that too is that you know okay we're, we're two white guys doing a podcast and and this this month's topic is about race uh i'm not gonna i almost feel gross reaching out to exclusively black friends and saying hey because i'm doing this racial podcast do you want to be my token black guy to give my your opinion i i i, I don't think that's what this should be about i i don't think it should we politicians do it all the time they use people of color for as props for, to 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 sell their idea that look at me i'm part of this group that's not to say that you know i'm opposed to having different perspectives and whatever but it doesn't matter to me what that perspective comes from because guess what the color of your skin has literally no holding on the merits of your ideology or or, or, or creativity or input to what this could this conversation should be now obviously if you have an experience because of certain situations or you have a story that's personal to you great i'd love to hear it i think we all have personal stories of different ways we've been mistreated or or, or weren't treated in the way that we want to be treated uh but I don't think that should be the focal point. It shouldn't be, well, I had this guy on my podcast because he's black to talk about critical race theory. And Republicans like to do this where they say, oh, hey, we got a black guy who disagrees with anti-racism. Look at that. Look at that anti-racists. He's a black guy. And it, that that's so frustrating, too, because that doesn't help. That, that's, well, they've just been pulled into the, the tribal game. And that's the ultimate right. end of it. It's like, let's let's take something that is, is makes things inherently tribal through our lens and then watch them fall into that. That's the the Kafka, another part of the Kafka trap, basically. Just this conversation alone, like, oh yeah, well, we need to acknowledge, and we're not doing it like this. But I, I, I've been, I've been in literal conversations with people where they're like, well, I need to first just preamble with how I'm a white person and I don't really have these things. It's like, don't qualify what you're about to say. Like, I can see you and I know you. What do you, you're, you're like, it's like this weird, like self-effacing, like flagellating yourself before you can have an opinion. It's like, no, in no civilized society should we have to like shackle ourselves with these qualifiers for our thoughts. It's truly the start of what, what like policing thought and speech is. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I think it, it leads me to, to, to this point, learning from and understanding the perspectives of those we disagree. Don't assume the worst in others. Just because someone agrees with critical race theory does not mean that they agree with every tenet or that they agree with how it's implemented or that they even know what they agree with. Just because I disagree with it doesn't mean that I'd have all the knowledge that I'm open to having conversations and saying, you know what? I like part one, seven and 45 of critical race theory, but the rest is crap. I'm allowed to do that. We're allowed to have those discussions and those compromises and understand like, hey, maybe there's a place for certain learnings of of these things. I mean, I, just like I'm I'm against Marxism, but I don't want Marxism to go away. I want us to, I want it to be there to read and understand and learn from. Yeah. And I again, I think we should I, I'm not on board with the people who are like, let's ban any mention of like critical race theory in our schools. It's like, no, like. I want my kid to, to learn about what communism is and what what place it had in history because, hey, the communists did some fucked up things. And if we don't want history to repeat itself, we should know what those were. Just like I want my kid to know what the hell happened in Germany in the 1930s so we can say, hey, we don't want that to happen again. Learn from the mistakes of people who came before you. Hey, let's let's maybe not teach this like like it's what it is. 
but maybe say, hey, here's the set of ideas that exist in the world. This is what they cover. And then from there, you could have a kid who's like, wow, I want to look more into this. And then they read all the things in the world. And then they're the next they're they're marching on the front lines of the next Black Lives Matter rally. Awesome. Great. They, they took their own, they carved their own path because they wanted to do that. They weren't raised from age zero that that is what their existence should be. Well, at, at, at the end of the day, it's a philosophical philosophical argument on how to deal with racism. We have we have lots of things that are going to be coming up in the next few years. Uh, I mean, reparations is a big topic. The drug war is a big topic. Things that have added fuel to the fire, things that are helpful, non-helpful, etc. And critical race theory is just a, a small part of it and a way to teach it and teach about it and how to frame one's mind around how to deal with race and racism and you know philosophically is it doesn't make sense or is it ethical for you to say that i I am white and therefore i need to reserve myself xyz you know i i think that debate we've already had we've discussed that but we have to be willing to at least entertain another's point of view even if the philosophy even if like anti-racist baby the the words in there oh my god but that's a real person who probably has real experiences and i i don't want to assume that ibram kennedy is just trying to make money uh, there's probably an aspect of him making money but you know i i don't want i i hate to assume that but the but more importantly i don't want to assume that the people who are reading it and and who are supporting him who might just be blind to the fact that people are just money hungry and corrupt. I don't want to assume that they're the ones who are supporting this idea or, you know, I I would hope that they would also want to sit down with you or I and have an educated conversation about, okay, I understand your goal. My goal is the same as yours. Your way to get there and your solution doesn't make much sense. And here's why. And we go back and forth and we have a good conversation. But the right and the left and the, and the politics around this have been so gross and, and racially charged. And like you said before, either you're with me or you're against me. And I, I would argue that the best form of support is criticism, is constructive criticism. I'm not going to sit here and call every supporter or, or writer or academic who, who supports critical race theory a Marxist who hates America. That's, I think that's wrong. I think that's very, very wrong. I think there's a lot of people who are like self-proclaimed ardent socialists and Marxists who, who love this country and they want to make it better. And they think that that's the best way to do it. They might be very misinformed, in my opinion. They might not have a, a real concept of the history of these ideologies and the bloodshed that has been done in their name. Or they might be naive to how systems work. They might think that, hey, well, it happened there, but it can't happen here because we're better now. You know, and, and they, oh, that's fair. That's that's fine. You can have that thought, but be willing at least to have a conversation about those ideas. Don't just dig your heels into that one side and say, if you have to support critical race theory, otherwise you're a racist. But I'm not a law student in law school, so I've never actually heard or been taught critical race theory before. <laughs> or wait, am I actually learning the real history of America that they're just teaching in schools and that's what people are trying to ban? I, and it's messy. How about we give our children, equip them with all the tools they need to make up their own damn minds? Yes. This podcast is a work of passion and is completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into what we cover. We want you to be a part of the Coding Conversation family and help drive the conversation towards topics that you care about. The more we grow, 
the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over now to our website at www.thecoganconvo.com and learn how you can sign up. Did you know that this podcast has swag? That's right. T-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, even stickers. Head over to www.thecoganconvo.com and grab some gear to show your support of the show. Stay tuned for a sneak preview of next month's discussion. Thank you for joining us for this important topic. We hope you were as self-reflective as we were surrounding this issue. We can't be afraid to discuss issues that are uncomfortable, and we must always be able to disagree without being disagreeable. At some point in the future, we may revisit this topic to talk about other experiences and others' understandings of critical race theory, but for now, we're moving on. Next month, in July, Grant and I will be discussing the evergreen debate of recreational drug use, what should and shouldn't be legal, from marijuana to cocaine to heroin, all the fun stuff. We'll discuss how drugs have shaped our culture, criminal justice system, and more. There is so much more to this conversation than whether we think drugs should be decriminalized or legalized. Be sure to tune in on July 12th for part one and July 26th for part two. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.